Welcome back to the Garden State Law Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lau. Joining me today is Sabre Environmental Attorney, Jerry Albin. Jerry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So today, Jerry and I will be discussing uh, Jerry's practice as well as environmental law in New Jersey. Um, before we get going, Jerry, maybe you can introduce, introduce yourself and your practice a little bit. Yeah, sure. So I'm Jerry Albin. I've been at Sabre for 15 years. Um, I do a variety of things, but mostly in the environmental litigation and transactional space. I started at Sabre um, as a labor and employment lawyer. So I did in general litigation for a lot of years. And in about 2010, there was um, a need for a young associate to participate in some settlement negotiations for two of our firm's institutional clients that had been brought in as a third party um, in a little known super fun site, um, the Lower Passaic River. So the Passaic River is a 17-mile river. It's one of the most polluted waterways in the country. And um, there has been a lot of litigation. There was a state litigation that was um, settled, and now there's a federal litigation that's ongoing. And so as a young associate, I was really excited. I went to, I think it was um, like one of the big law firms in New Jersey and sat around a table with dozens of really accomplished environmental attorneys and basically took notes and just tried to participate in the settlement as best as I could. Um, and it was incredible and really an amazing um, experience. And it got me sort of on this road for the environmental law. And I worked with a partner, Randy Schillinger, who um, at the time, you know, I had not worked much with. And then, you know, we had um, hit it off during, you know, this um, settlement negotiation and these clients were wonderful and we still work with them. And so it was like a really fantastic experience. And then I just was like, this is what I want to do. And it's how I sort of found my niche in environmental law. And it's proof that you can practice one, one area for a few years and kind of pivot throughout your career. So that's cool. Yeah. You know, environmental law is a funny thing because it has like a huge scope. So this was a, um, you know, a state litigation about, uh, you know, that parties were being targeted and, being sued for contributing hazardous substances to the Passaic River and were being requested to clean it up. Um, and at the time, I was like, environmental law has so many acronyms that a colleague had given me, like a 15-page spreadsheet. We're going to get to some of those acronyms, too, I believe, because I don't know what <laughs> I remember all their, you know, all the, the like, proper names for them. Um, but it was so confusing and so complex. And still, I feel like I'm learning new things every day, and it's changing and growing. Um, and But I just, you know, it's been, like, a really fun 13 years of learning sure. and, you know, participating in it. So. so I don't know a lot about environmental law, but I would imagine that, and we're a, a garden state law podcast, mm -hmm. given New Jersey being its population, being heavily regulated, um, a lot of industry and commerce here, I would expect that New York and New Jersey, this general tri-state region has some serious implications on environmental law, and it's probably one of the areas that's the environmental law has the biggest impact. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously environmental issues are nationwide because um, before anybody really regulated it, but New Jersey has some of the strictest um, environmental laws in the country for sure. Um, but they're also designed at not only protecting health, human, and the environment, but also enabling companies and industries to function um, in a way that there's regulations that allow them to do the business they need to do, but in a safe way, um, you know, and also in a clean, environmentally sound sure. way, you yeah. know, 
we as Sabre, we represent mostly um, industrial facilities, chemical companies, um, um, developers who are trying to navigate the very strict regulations, especially under the Murphy administration and with the Biden administration. You know, these you see with the times and the political climate, you know, things go up and down. And right now it's like a very strict and um, heavily regulated moment for a lot of our clients. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that a lot of environmental concerns, at least in an example I'm about to give, are tied to acquisitions or sales of properties. So maybe if I give you, uh, which I think is most helpful, getting to know someone's practice and what they do and some of the concerns in New Jersey, if I give you a scenario, we can talk a little bit about where the environmental concerns and where you kind of come in in the process. So if we're thinking about a business locally, even here, Morris County, and you have a business a site that's selling a business um, or selling a property, I should say, and they owned an industrial manufacturing company for 75 years in New Jersey. Um, and who knows what was happening there? They were making widgets. Maybe those widgets had sludge and goop and gra- I don't know. And who knows what was going on with something, what was, was happening there. But they're selling the business, they're moving out, and someone wants to come in and it's a several acre site. And um, there is an environmental component to this. Even before, I would imagine, you know what's happening there. The due diligence needs to happen and what happens if you find something. So if we have a client, if you have a client who's purchasing a property and there's so much unknown, where do you come in and what are the things that you're thinking about or or really anybody who's doing this should be thinking about? Because I would imagine regardless of, you should be aware of environmental um, possibilities anytime you're purchasing a large, in, you know, uh, commercial property in New Jersey. So where do we kind of fit in there? Sure, absolutely. And I think this isn't just a plug for Sabre, but for anybody that is acquiring a property that may or may not have been an industrial facility or have some kind of environmental con- contamination or concern, when you are selecting a law firm, we have seen a lot of people select law firms that don't have designated environmental attorneys. Mm-hmm. And are they and usually real estate attorneys? They're, they're trying to yeah, their transactional yeah. M and A, and sometimes they have to bring in other firms that specialize in environmental. And the nice part about Saber, and here's the plug, is you know we have both. So we have um, the transactional real estate experience, and also this small you know environmental niche where we can come in on you know a, um, an asset deal or a stock deal, and you know if there's any environmental concern with the property or hazardous substances or any of that. You know, we can come in with our expertise at the same time, all under the same roof. So, you know, that's I don't think a lot of people think about that when they're doing this. They use their attorney they've always had and they think they can handle it. But these environmental issues are very specific and very niche. And if you're not in the space, like it's very difficult to sort of, um, you know, fake your way through it. Yeah. Like some attorneys like to do. So that's the plug with respect to our clients. So, you know, we think it's really important to get. Um, if you're going to be buying a contaminated or um, um, a property that may or may not have environmental concerns, the due diligence process is like very important. And is this something, carte blanche, any acquisition, you say like, before we do anything, you should talk to our environmental attorney just so we have this covered? Or are there some instances where you go, no, 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 it's never going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it depends. So I think, I think it depends on the client and the property and what you're doing. But typically, if you're buying any kind of commercial property... You probably want to do some environmental due diligence in advance just to make sure that you've covered all your bases. Um, There are a number of environmental statutes in New Jersey. One of them is 
ISRA, the Industrial Site Recovery Act, that's um, implicated when you have either an industrial an industrial facility, and you're, usually your business gets what they call an NAICS code, and um, it's assigned to you. And if it is um, part of the statute that ISRA is implicated, then the seller has, seller or whoever contracts for it, all sorts of environmental responsibility with respect to making sure the site is clean, cleaned up, has final remediation documents before the sale closes, or, you know, you can work out so it can occur after the sale closes. So part of our job is to determine sometimes what that NAICS code is. Sometimes people have it in a lease. Even leaseholds are responsible for ISRA. So there's triggering events that implicate. So if you're going to sell, cease your operations, the statute lists like a number of different triggering events. So if you have, if you're, you know, just shutting your company down and you are an industrial facility and have hazardous waste at your facility, you will trigger ISRA and you will need to follow what um, the statute says. And we can help you through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And is this, this process, mm -hmm. depending on what happens, I would imagine this can drag out for a while at times. Yeah. So, which could probably make your job complicated because people want to close a transaction. I want to buy this building and I can't because you're telling me we have a problem. So even if there's no problem, you still come in. Well, we want everyone to do it appropriately because yeah. if you don't carefully do due diligence and make sure you have done the all appropriate inquiry standards, you won't have the protections, the liability protection. So you don't want to buy a property that's contaminated without doing the due diligence yeah. because then you're liable. You're liable. Yeah. 100%. That's yeah. the law. So, and you don't want that, yeah. you know, because, you know, I will have a job in perpetuity forever and ever because these some of these environmental issues will never be cleaned up but there is a way to mitigate your liability yeah. and also your responsibility and how much you're going to want to pay for it etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah it's so, an insurance policy holding having it in i mean having attorneys in general is kind of like one big insurance policy but environmental attorneys specifically whether or not you may feel comfortable yeah. with you and, know at the property but yeah, God knows what can happen if you don't have someone. And sometimes yeah. if we know that we don't know something, we encourage our clients to research or potentially get an actual insurance policy to yeah. pay for down the road. You know, if something changes and now they start, they find a new contaminant or an emerging contaminant that you don't even know about yeah. because the history of the site is so lengthy or so unknown mm -hmm. that you can't even to tell. Listen, sometimes you have a sophisticated buyer that is used to buying device properties and understands yeah. what they need to do um, with respect to the environmental. And like those clients for me, like piece of cake. Yeah. You know, it's when you have a mom and pop shop that's looking to close and they've been operating for 50 years and they never even realized they were supposed to do all these things like keep drums of, I don't know, hydraulic fluid, like yeah. on a pallet or, yeah. you know, not leaking into the ground because, yeah. you know. No, you know, an auto body shop. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah. Exactly. And, or, you know, we'll talk, we could talk about this later or whenever, but <clears throat> PFAS or perfluoroalkylene, I'm not going to say it correctly. I'm just going to say the acronym. PFAS is an emerging contaminant that they have found in, it's a man-made chemical that is basically in most products, especially industrial products. So it's like in soap and the government is regulating PFAS more now, but um, we don't know where it's going to go. So yeah. if you know there's a um, firefighting foam where there was a fire or because that's typical or that the plant previously manufactured using PFAS or any of those things, yeah. those are the types of, you know, concerns that, you know, we sort of talk about or look at or do the due diligence for 
you know, tanks is a yeah. big one. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting because it doesn't necessarily have to be a large scale manufacturer of, you know, big products, whatever. It can be you're leasing or purchasing a property and it was a dry cleaner. I know there's environmental concerns with dry, uh, dry cleaners as well. So just because it's a small business doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have, not to strike fear in people, but, but you know. You can still do it and you can protect yourself if you negotiate and draft your transactional documents in a specific way. And that's a big part of our job. So like if you're buying and selling, we're drafting the agreements in a way to really capture um, at who's responsible for what. Mm-hmm. And, that, and listen, you have to... Sometimes, you know, you're buying a demise property and the seller will put in escrow $300,000 because you know there's an issue. You don't know how big or how small, mm-hmm. but we can negotiate environmental right. escrow so that you could use that money later if you find that there's a remediation problem that, you know, because oftentimes it's better, you know, there's two thoughts on it. So, like, if you're buying a property, sometimes you want to be able to do the work because it's your property and mm-hmm. you know that you'll do it the right way. That's you know, or you might want to buy the property and have not touched the environmental at all, and the seller will be the one who's responsible. You know, that's what we sort of work out with the client to see, you know, who, ha- you know, who has what tolerance for what type of, you know, what kind of deal it is. Are there some key indicators to purchasers that tell you right away, you don't even have to look at the site. You know, we got an issue, not just necessarily because of the company, but an area like I'm not I don't want to pick on any towns or places in New Jersey but I could imagine there's certain areas where you have a client saying we're looking to purchase a property here and you go there's been a lot of problems there we need to really talk about this. yeah for sure because you want them to have the wherewithal to understand because if a prior owner you know goes bankrupt or defunct then the DEP may look to you to mm-hmm. be the one who's cleaning up but if you've done your all appropriate inquiry or your due diligence in the way that you have an innocent purchaser protection then you won't be held responsible and that's yeah. what we really help you do um, but yeah, absolutely. I hate to be the killer of all deals, but like right. sometimes our real estate folks see me coming <laughs> yeah. and they're like, please just like be cool, be cool, you know, because yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, we don't want to scare anyone, but you know, if you're taking on a piece of property that's contaminated because we're in New Jersey and because the laws are so specific, you have to just understand that there may be, you know, some work you have to do some monitoring or mm-hmm. operation and maintenance or however, and you can absolutely have the seller or somebody else be responsible for that. But like, we need to be involved yeah. to discuss those types of yeah. things. But I guess at the same time that if you're representing a seller, um, and there's issues that are found uh, by either side, mm-hmm. you're not selling this property. You mean there's your your hands are tied. You have to you you have to do something, right? So it's not kind of like, well, let me just close this deal and this deal's over, and let me find someone else because we're gonna keep. And then there's probably a certain amount of. Yeah, life. I mean, there are as we represent sellers all the time with properties that have environmental issues, and we can get their them to a place where they can hand off the lib the responsibility and the liability and walk away from the deal feeling like they did what they were supposed to do. We contracted it. We put up the escrow. We did what we needed to do. You know, a lot of it is we um, bring in environmental consultants all the time that help us because under ISRA, you're required to hire a licensed site remediation professional. In 2009, um, the Site Remediation Reform Act was passed, which sort of like totally changed the way the DEP was involved in site remediation and it sort of privatized it. So now they have these environmental consultants who get licensed by the state, who are required to be brought in, paid for by the client. 
who are basically standing in the shoes of the DEP. So mm-hmm. it gets tricky because they you pay them, so they work for you, but really they have, you know, um, a standard that they have to sure. uphold. And um, I think having the right consultant on the job really helps either narrow the focus, protect the client, make sure it's done correctly so that there's no issues, and we cross all our T's and dot our I's. So, like, we have different environmental consultants for different kinds of jobs. Big jobs, we can use a big environmental consulting company that have all sorts of engineers and blah, 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 and all these things. Or we have the guy who is the tank pull guy. Like, we got, we know the environmental consultant that if we're going to pull a tank, he's the guy, he's seen it, he's done it all, and he can do it well and at a low cost. Or, you know, if there's a specific kind of contamination, so bedrock contamination, where the water is really, and contaminated groundwater is deep, you know, we have environmental consultants who are specialists in bedrock groundwater contamination. And I think, you know, not all LSRPs, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's like, you know, we have experience where we know so many really fantastic professionals that can help in, like, very specific ways, and we try to pair our clients with the correct type of um, consultant to help manage and min- minimize their sort of liability in whatever project they're working. So that's always been my question about what an L- I never really knew what an LSRP does. Mm-hmm. I know that they're very involved in the process. Yes. Obviously, Jerry's not going out with a shovel to the property. No, but I do like to go. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fun field. So that aspect, the investigation aspect and the looking into the physical aspects of the property, yes. that's the... Basically, the LSRP, who's appointed by the state, and there's, I guess, subcontractors. Is that the way it works? Or an LSRP has... So it's their... Either... It's their, their company or their entity. Yeah. They have the engineer. They have each component. It really their... depends on the shop. You know, like there's one solo LSRPs, and then there's ones who are in bigger um, bigger companies that have all different aspects of all different things. So it yeah. depends on what you need, you know you know, in the size of the site. And it will also depend the bottom line, like how much money, you know, you're going to spend. Because yeah. when you get to a site and you have an LSRP come, you know, typically they do a preliminary assessment um, and a site investigation in New Jersey. Um, in federal, it's phase one. You should probably do them both so that you're covered by both laws. Um, and they like walk the site and they do all the things, but they haven't even done until they determine after the preliminary assessment, if they need to do more, do they like stick anything in the ground and take like a proper sample but yeah. real sample samples are very expensive so sure. you know they sort of um dictate like how many where you know with depending on the groundwater flow or what if there's soil contamination or if they see something funny you know and they you know prepare all the reporting and submit it to the dep for review um we also review the reports to make sure there's nothing that we want to highlight because once the LSRP does or the environmental consultant does the report, we review it because we want to see if there's anything that we want to highlight to our client that's like, uh-oh, like this is an uh, area mapped for historic fill mm. and most of New Jersey is mapped for historic fill. Like, are we going to need a deed notice or are we going to need to do, you know, are we going to ask the seller to do that or, or is that something that we're going to have to take care of? So we know and can highlight in their reporting this types of stuff that we want to point out to the client who sometimes is not, you know, well-versed in the landscape. So, you know, it would be helpful to have like sort of that background and, and we help with that. Okay. We don't need to get into the weeds about this, but I need to know what historic fill is. So historic fill yeah, is just, like, You can't just say historic fill without telling me what I, I like, wish I like, had the proper definition of me, but it's like, like ash and concrete and it's just like, 
it's in most of the state, like because something historical stood there and it can't be disrupted, basically. Yeah, and it has like um, a specific background of different constituents that like is not good, and so you ha- it's mapped, so everybody knows where it is. Okay. So like, there's clean fill. So like, right nowadays, if you want to like. Like there was all these case law and stories where people would bring in dirty dirt and like, and actually there's like new law on dirty dirt, by the way, but we won't get into that. So you, they would fill like under a baseball field with like terribly contaminated right. materials and then cover it up. And like everyone, you know, was outraged. Yeah. And now that's absolutely not allowed. And, you know, you have to bring in clean fill and it has to be certified and all of these things. And there's other places with historic fill, which is typical in industrial regions where there's been a lot of industrial use. And you could just put a prop a D notice on it saying like this has historic fill. You don't have to clean it up or dig it out. Mm. It's just, you know, everybody knows that it's there. So like you're not gonna like farm right. in the historic fill. You know what I mean? You're not gonna do farming around. Right. But like it's fine. Yeah. You know? And that's probably prevalent in New Jersey. Historic yeah. fill. Yeah. So they have mapping. So the DEP has mapped different places and but it's something we do highlight for clients, of course, because um, you know, it could affect the use of the property or, you know, if you need to have any sort of um institutional or engineering or controls on it, you know, yeah. that they, they should know about. Yeah, I can only imagine if you're constructing something in Morristown, New Jersey, which has got to be one of the most historical <laughs> places in America. Uh, you just have your fingers crossed. Go like, I hope this is... Think what they would say is like ash and like chips and concrete and like, you know, just... So um, you mentioned this before. Um, again, I, and I had said I don't know a lot about environmental law, but one thing I always hear about is PFAS. Yeah kind of the hot topic right now these are micro micro plastics that unfortunately exist everywhere how are you dealing with this how does this come into your world can you tell us a little bit about it so PFAS R is a is a man-made um chemical it was typically in like teflon Mm -hmm. and it was in firefighting phone it was in um it's in your clothes Mm -hmm. and it is in like very difficult to it, it it just takes on a life of its own you can't destroy it or this is when it bi- like biodegrades, like if it doesn't biodegrade. Okay, but it breaks down and exists. Yeah, so it doesn't. Yeah, so it's like it's in plastic. It's in like food packaging. Yeah. It's now in our water. It's in the grass. So it's become this this incredible like it's taken on sort of a life of its own. So like if you tested our blood, mm-hmm. we have like uh like, you know levels of PFAS in it. Not da- technically dangerous to to you, but like because it is now permeated so heavily and all these things and that's why i think it's gained so much traction um it's called they call it an emerging contaminant and they're just starting to regulate it in our and in the water and there's been case law cases on it in new jersey specifically um but it's so like i threw out my teflon pants like my old ones you know and now they have new pfas free materials that you could buy like Mm -hmm. to cook in and and all those sorts of. it's a good excuse to buy a nice pan set is that you're saying (laughs) because i'm in the market yeah (laughs) Make sure it's SV Raspberry Hour. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's it's gained a lot of recognition because the EPA and the DEP are just starting to understand how to regulate it. It's very difficult to um, get rid of it. Yeah. So also- I, like there's no getting rid of it. There is. And I think yeah. that, you know, carbon typically. So like, for example, I'm in, um, we represent a client in a number of Superfund sites in New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania. And- it's in like gloves, latent text gloves. So how do you test for PFAS 
when like you're holding it's already it's already there so it's been like a really like an interesting science where they're trying to figure it out and i i've heard of different organizations that are coming up with different ways to sort of get um, reduce it and get rid of it Mm -hmm. um but right now for the most part we're seeing the epa and monitoring it wanting us to test for it and have levels of it and it's unclear how it's going to be regulated and we're still in this like very even though it's been we've known about it for years like still understanding how it's going to really affect um sites and cleanups and remediations you know going forward do you suspect moving forward there is going to be regulation on whether or not you can manufacture with it yeah 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 yeah. i don't i think there are a number of states if i'm not um, mistaken that have um banned the manufacture of in use of it yeah sure. yeah probably a good idea yeah. Yeah. so um let's talk a little bit about just you um your history in environmental law, how you got into it. You touched upon it in the beginning about your kind of entryway, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you went from uh, an employment lawyer. You mentioned going to this conference or meeting. Yeah. You're taking notes, so, so transitioned itself. So I went to this um, for the Passaic River. I sat in on the settlement negotiations. We worked through that, obviously, with a number of partners in my firm, with our clients to get to um, a settlement. And then one of our clients, their in-house counsel, had... Um, retired and asked us to handle all their super fun legacy sites. So they had acquired a company that had a lot of legacy sites. Um, so we do a lo- lot of super fun work in um, a number of different sites. And super fun law is um, these, you know, big hazardous waste sites, which have hundreds of parties sometimes who are um, working on cleaning up that site. And we do work sort of fighting for our client to have whatever allocation of responsibility in cleaning up those sites. So we monitor them and we um, we work with the client to sort of understand the history and, you know, what their role was, you know, before the all these regulations when, you know, people were just sending drums to a reconditioner and then sludge was, you know, leaking into the rivers. And now they're saying, oh, we have records of your client in 19, you know, 71 sending these drums, et cetera. And you're responsible. And so then we're like, whoa, 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 we're not responsible, you know, or however it works. Um, so I do a lot of that um, super fun work. Um, we do also simple things. So you are buying, um, you um, understand that there's like a, a tank on your neighbor's property. Right. And you want to go onto their property or they want to come onto your property to like test to see if your tank is leaking. And we will draft an access agreement for you, mm-hmm. you know, a simple agreement that covers you so that if they come on your property and do testing, you won't be held, held responsible if somebody gets hurt or if they do something and you want them to put your grass back the way it was. You know, we take care of those types of things, too. Um, can a neighbor, in that situation, mm-hmm. can a neighbor say, like, no, 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 it's good. I don't I don't want you testing. I don't want to know. Yeah, so, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. So... Um, it depends Yeah. if the DEP is requiring that the work is performed because they need to find like a source of some sort. Yeah. Um, you could say no, but then they can bring an order to show cause in court. And there okay. is a statute that says that you are required. Just to don't, say, don't say no. Is that, no, but make sure you say like, I want an access agreement and then come to us and yeah. we'll say the things you want in your access agreement. So, you know, they can't like come on your property at 6 a.m. with your kids. You know, like you'll sure. have it done in normal hours. But, right. you know, we like put that on the agreement so that it's done carefully. Um, it's access agreements are also with commercial properties as well you know if you you don't want it to mess up your business you know during your store hours you don't want people digging because you know there's a groundwater flow right. problem 
and they think that the contamination is coming from their side to your side and obviously you want them to test, but you don't want it to mess up, you know, the flow of your business operation. Sure. So you can um, negotiate all of that. That's all negotiable. We'll help you with that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what else. My practice, you know, is some litigation, um, and but mostly transactional. You know, we um, work with clients all the time. There are a lot of reporting obligations for clients mm-hmm. with respect to if they have hazardous substances. Um, so we'll help them, you know, figure that out. Permitting mm-hmm. um, is a big part of it. Um, we do a lot of that. Um, it's really married. It's fun. I mean, yeah. I, you don't realize that there's all these little things happening until, you know, you're like, oh, wait, I don't understand this at all. Sure. <laughs> can, I, can you help? You know, and then we try to get involved. And at the end of the day, you're doing something good. Yeah. You, you try to help the environment. You say environmental lawyer and everyone's like, oh, you're a tree hugger. Like, you're great. I'm like, oh, we represent chemical companies. <laughs> but they're, you know, compliant and regulated and doing the right thing and, you know, doing their best to, you know, protect human health and the environment always, you know, and always, um, you know, making sure that there's records and manifests and reporting obligations because there's a lot of like sticky things that can happen. Um, and we see it all the time, but that's what makes the day go fast. Sure. Well, Jerry, thank you for joining us today. If any of our listeners or watchers have uh, a question for Jerry, you can reach her at 973-845-7719 or G-A-L-B-I-N at Saber.com. Thank you for all those who are listening and watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or podcast channel, and we'll catch you next time.